It is great that we serve such a merciful God, isn't it? I hope that as we go through this study, you've been illuminated by the Holy Spirit. There's been some understanding, but also I hope you've been convicted. I hope that there's been some prompting of the Holy Spirit for you to start something that you haven't done or for you to stop something that you are doing because that's what being in Scripture is about. That's what it is to be exposed to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to have its way in our life. We're talking about relationships and we're talking about friendships. And I want to kind of, again, put this in context. In a, in a congregation, as part of a church body, we're certainly talking about generically all of us together as, as Pendleton Street Baptist Church, or soon to be West End Baptist Church, we're, we're generically members one of another. Now, this is beyond any local congregation. It's certainly Christian to Christian. We are known by our love as we behave in love toward one another. We're known by our love as we behave in love toward a lost world, for those who aren't believers. But the context that Paul has here in Colossians is writing to a local assembly and talking about the things that God has changed in our life. After chapter 1, such a, a beautiful Christological picture of who Christ is and what Christ has accomplished. And then Paul addressing his own ministry. This is what God's called me to do, and I labor in this effort. And the Holy Spirit enables me and gives me power in this effort. He gives some specific exhortations. Now, we talked about things that we're to put off. You guys remember the, what, the sin list, the things that we no longer do as a believer, and those are things that we are progressively intentionally saying that's wrong, that's a sin, that does not glorify God, that does not please our Father, and we stop that. And it may take a process, but it's a process that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We take off. But it is not enough. Christianity is not a list of things not to do. If that's your mindset of what it means to be a Christian, well, being a Christian means I just can't have any fun. Being a Christian means I just can't do this and can't do that and can't do this and can't do that and can't do this. If that's your, your mindset, you've missed the point of Christianity. Christianity is getting into alignment with the God who created us, the God who made us, the God who designed us. He knows what's best for us. He knows what's right for us. He knows what will bring us the deepest, truest, longest-lasting joy and peace as we let peace reign in our hearts. And so it's not only what we take off, it's also what we put on and right now our focus is put on some friendships put on some relationships open your house and open your heart open your car door open the restaurant door find somebody sit face to face and invest in their life now most of us have a friend or two or three or six most of us don't have 12 or 15 or 20 very close friends now some of you have the capacity for that and praise the lord Praise the Lord. I am so glad you do. You're an encouragement and an honor to the rest of us. But, buddy, you need at least two or three or four or five people that you can spend some time with. You have shared experiences with. You can call up and say, listen, here's what's going on in my life. And so here's the question that we have for today. The question that we have for today is, who are you investing your life in? As a result of your friendships, here's another way to say it, are, are your friendships... Are your friends drawing closer to God, closer to Christ, as a result of your relationship with them? How about that? Is that, are you with me? Don't go to sleep on me. I, I left my mic on when I was singing a little while ago. That was to make sure everybody was awake. That, that was an accident, by the way. I, uh, I, I, when I looked up and saw Cody grimacing, I thought, oh, my mic must be, I'm kidding, Doc. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Because if my mic is on, it goes right in his ear, and that's not a... That's not a happy situation for anybody. 
Okay. Uh, but uh, I want to make sure that we're awake and that we're engaged because, because this stuff matters. You guys remember there was a movie several years ago, and I'm not promoting the movie, but there's an example, with Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt called As Good As It Gets. Some of you have seen it. For those of you who haven't, Jack Nicholson is a, a strange character with a lot of difficulties and a lot of personality difficulties. And Helen Hunt is a waitress, and they develop a relationship kind of, sort of, but frankly, she doesn't know what to expect, and she doesn't know where the relationship's going. She says, look, buddy, you've got to give me something. Pay me a compliment. And he gets quiet. It's a scene set at a table in the restaurant and looks at her. You remember what he tells her? You make me want to be a better man. And she is touched. Takes her by surprise. She wasn't expecting that from this guy. He's a curmudgeon. He's difficult to get along with. He's a complainer. And she's taken back. And she's like, ah, I don't know what to say. And so he looks up and says, what, was that too much? <laughs> kind of loses the moment. But here's the thing. Does your relationships with your friends make them want to be a better person, make them want to be more Christ-like, more godly? Is the influence that you're having upon your friendships, the people that you spend time with, talk to, joke with, laugh with, play games with, eat with, does your presence move them closer to the presence of God and further in their path of maturity? If they are pursuing holiness and you are pursuing holiness, are you investing them in such a way so that, like Paul's mission, his calling was to present every man perfect and complete, teleos, before Christ Jesus? Does your influence have that kind of impact upon them as a believer? We're going to look at this passage of Scripture and see what we can do, what we need to do, how to do that, how that we can make sure that our friendships are helping our friends grow in their relationship with Christ. Isn't that a good thing to know? All right, so we're going to take this a phrase at a time, starting at the beginning. And the first thing to do this is you need to prepare yourself to be that kind of friend. You need to prepare yourself to be that kind of friend. Let's read the text. Let's go back to that slide. Read the text in Colossians chapter 3. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you enough. You just need to know, you know, kind of generally a little bit about the word of God, not a whole lot. Is that, is that what, he, what he says? No, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs, that's what I was doing this morning, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name, representing in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. So let's look at that first phrase, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so the first application point is you need to prepare yourself. You need to be prepared to be that kind of friend. And how do we do that? We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. He's talking about scripture here, folks. It's Bible. It's the words that we have from God. God's holy word. And so, again, you're no stranger to this if you've been a member of this church for any length of time. You know that our emphasis is upon you opening your Bibles and read. We do daily Bible readings uh, that we, we publish and we encourage and we exhort. We have Bible studies. We always try to teach and preach expositionally, which is Scripture. We expose the truth that's found in Scripture so that we'll understand it, 
so that we'll know it, so that we'll be able to apply it. And so we want to allow it to dwell richly within us. So, so what does that mean? Is it enough to simply read the Bible? Listen, I know it's cold in here. Y'all cold? Thermostat set down to about 65. I think we've made the appropriate adjustments. But uh, if you need to get up and move around, you can get up and move around. But participatory sermon this morning, okay? I, I was going to tell you just hunch closer together, but I looked across the room, and that may not be welcome across the board. So, but whatever you have to do to, to be warm and be comfortable and be engaged, listen, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is reading the Bible, is opening the Bible and reading your daily chapter, is that richly dwelling in you, the Word of God? It's a great place to start. You know, you can read and not, you can't study and not read, but you can read and not study. As a matter of fact, we need to be people who learn and who grow in the Word of God. Why? Because all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, teaching, knowing what truth is, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. Why? And equipping so that you and I may be thoroughly furnished, have everything that we need to make the right decisions, to think the right thoughts, to say the right things, to engage in the right behaviors, to manage our money in the right way, to manage our possessions in the right way, to manage our time in the right way, so that God is glorified in everything that we do in word or deed. But it's found in Scripture. And if you're not in Scripture, you're not finding it. And so how do we do this? How do we do this? There's just a few things I want to... You see them on the slide. You can make notes. Uh, we'll look at some of these, but I want to talk about four things that the Scripture says we should be doing with itself, with Scripture. And the first is simply reading them. In Nehemiah, it's in the Old Testament book, and the children of Israel have been in captivity. They come in to, back to Jerusalem, uh, and... They have a worship service. This is chapter 8, after the walls have begun to be rebuilt and progress is being made. And so Ezra is the high priest, Nehemiah is the governor. Ezra the high priest brought the law, that's the book of the law, that's, that was their copy of the scriptures, before the assembly. And both men and women, and all who are capable of understanding, they all gathered together, and they heard on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those, those who could understand. Uh, and, and he re- this, so this is an hours-long reading of Scripture. So I want to make sure that you and I understand where this starts is just, just reading. Just reading. Opening the Bible and reading. So how much time are we spending reading the Word of God? You know that there are different books. The Bible is a collection of 66 different books written by 40 different people over a period of 1,500 years, and yet it's so cohesive and comprehensive in its nature. Written by kings and written by paupers, written, recorded and preserved, and it is is great literature. But how many of you like to read, period? Do we have have a lot of readers in here? And and indicate, because I want to know, because in any group that I come to, we've got some people who are like, I want my next book. Give me the next book I love to read. Um, I will tell you that I'm a reader. I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. I have a twin brother. He's the math guy. Now, he likes to read. I'm not saying he doesn't like to read, but he likes numbers. Give me a book and just 
I have a hard time even, you can ask Suzanne, I have a hard time going to sleep at night if, I don't, if I'm not reading, if I'm not opening a book and reading at night. But for those of you who have more of a struggle reading, more of a discipline reading, read it in shorter segments, read in a different translation, exercise the discipline of opening and even reading aloud to make sure your eyes aren't scanning the page and everything's just going past, but that you're actually processing the vocabulary, the words, the story, what's the story. And if you're not accustomed to reading, start with the narrative points of Scripture. Start with the Gospels. They tell the story of Jesus' life. Isn't that a great place? So just read. But I will tell you that the Word of God dwelling in you richly is more than just reading. It is studying. It's taking out a pen and paper. In our home group Wednesday night, what I'm encouraging our home group to do is pick a book of the Bible. Pick Philemon. It's one page. Pick Titus. Pick one of John's epistles. As a matter of fact, pick First John. Wow, five chapters, but such truth. Whoa. Third John's less than one page. Dealing with a specific circumstance and a specific situation with great truth. But pick one book of the Bible. Pick Psalms. <laughs> pick a, one, a matter of fact, Psalm 119 is longer than half the books in the Bible. And so you pick a book and you just say, I, I'm going to learn this book. I want to know who wrote it. I want to know who read it. I want to know what the point was. I want to make sure that I read it with vocabulary. And by the way, if you're reading the King James Version or the English Standard Version or the New American Standard Version, you may say, I think I'm going to switch for this reading and go to the New Living Translation. Or I'm going to go to a, an easier-to-read translation just so that it, it seems more contemporary and the story flows better to me. And you read it, and you read it, and you read it, and you begin to outline it. What's he saying? Who's he saying it to? What's the point? What's the truth? And you always ask the questions. What does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about me? What did they say? What did the people in that time hear? What does this mean I should know? What does this mean I should do? And you ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. And I will tell you, when the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, when you're processing and you're studying the Word of God, you'll see a difference in your thinking and your belief and your behavior. But as you do that, then take a passage of that and you meditate on it. Now, what does it mean to meditate? This is not om, you know what I'm talking about. This is not some sort of transcendental clearing your mind. This is taking a verse, one passage, one, one verse, one phrase sometimes, and sometimes a whole paragraph. And you just process it. You think it through. What does that mean? What does that mean to me? What did he mean when he said this? What can I learn from this? And you repeat it to yourself. How does this apply to me? I will tell you that for me personally, sometimes it's an exhortation. Sometimes the Lord brings to mind to me a phrase like, the wrath of man does not accomplish the will of God. And it always comes at a time when I need to understand that the wrath, my wrath does not accomplish the will of God. Do you know what I mean? Uh, sometimes it's a phrase about how shall they hear unless they have a preacher, one who shares. And God prompts me to think, all right, how can I share? Who can I be sharing with? Where am I supposed to be sharing? You let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In the context of your friendships, you get full of the truth of the Word of God. It may be one area, it may be one phrase, one passage, but you read it, you study, you meditate on it, memorize it. 
Can you memorize scripture? Does this sound like a Sunday school class? It's important stuff. Can you memorize scripture? I'm not going on until you acknowledge that you can memorize scripture. All right. Part of us, part of our challenge is, it's like I can't do that. I, I can't. I just can't memorize things. Anybody here forgetful? I've discovered that forgetfulness is, is, is at the very least a characteristic of or one of the attributes of aging. How about that? I, I can remember stuff from high school, but I can't remember why I walked into the room. And so we have to train our memory. Now, when you read a passage and you study, you really look at the words and what's being said and seek to understand it, and the Holy Spirit gives you illumination, and you meditate on it. You'll be surprised how much that passage, it may be your own paraphrase of that passage, or a Holy Spirit paraphrase of that passage, but how much of that passage begins to indwell in you. And so, I like Awana, what we used to do with the kids. I like Bible drill when I was a kid coming up. And we would write out passages of Scripture and repeat them so that we could memorize them. And you know what happens? When you get full of the Word of God, you become aware of the presence of God. You experience the power of God when you're hanging with that with your friends who do they get exposed to they get exposed to the truth of God they get exposed to the spirit of God they get exposed to God working in your life so the first step for you to be that kind of friend is to up your game and here's the thing I believe that some of us started or we go through periods of time where we're on it it's kind of like a diet for me all right I will get on a health thing and I will eat well and I, I <laughs> For short periods of time, I will eat well, and I will say, I'm not going to eat the Reese's sticks from QT. I'm, I'm not going to do this, or I'm not going to do that, and I will eat well. And it goes along pretty well, but then something comes up, like somebody makes a cake and brings it by the house. Or uh, I'm a sweets guy. That's my, that's my biggest failure. And all of a sudden, I'm off track, and I'm right back, right back. I believe the Word of God indwelling us in our reading and studying can be the same thing. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Prepare yourself by continually exposure to the Word of God, allowing it to dwell in you richly. By reading it, by studying it, by meditating upon it, by memorizing it. And just imagine getting up in the morning, reading your passage of Scripture, asking God, meditating on it throughout the day, reviewing it, Keep the same passage. You don't have to rush through. It's not like you've got to get through the Bible before the end of the year. Allow God to speak with you on that. Listen to Christian broadcasts. Listen to good Bible study teachers. Listen to good preachers as they expose certain passages of Scripture. And fill your mind and your heart with the Word of God. And if you do that for a week, and then you do it for a month, and then you do it for three months... We could crack open your brain, look in there, and we would see the difference the Word of God dwelling in you richly has made in your attitude, in your thoughts, and in your Christ-likeness. Isn't that right? Okay, you can't give what you don't have. Isn't that how that works? And so, prepare yourself. But some of you are thinking, well, I'm just not... And when it comes to personal relationships, I'm not the brightest guy in the group. I'm not the guy who... Uh, who knows the most Bible. This is a, I just feel inadequate. I just feel... As a matter of fact... Looking at the, the next thing, as you decide to do this, you want to in, do this not 
only for your own benefit, but so that you can invest in their life, which is the next point on the outline. You want to prepare your life to invest in theirs. That's where Paul goes next when he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another. What is teaching? That's imparting knowledge. That's giving information. How do we do this? And by the way, this is one another. This is not to the pastor. This is one another. This is not to the Sunday school teacher only. This is one another. This is not to some sort of teaching physician. This is each of us teaching one another. And that's sharing information. Hey, you know what I learned in Bible study this morning? I was reading this morning and I came across this passage. Or this is what the Lord has been saying to me. Or this is how God has taught me in the past to to think about this situation that you're going through. And so you teach, you impart knowledge. Admonishing is a little bit different. Admonishing is correcting and or encouraging and typically is in the realm of behavior. Something that you should be doing. Something that you should not be doing. Something that you need to be adjusted by the Holy Spirit. Something that you need to take off. Something that you need to be putting on in your relationships. And this is where it gets tricky because the world says, not your business. None your business. Whatever I want to do, I want to do. You mind yourself. I'll take care of me. But the Bible says when believers come together, we have one Father, one Son, one Holy Spirit, one baptism. We have unity. We are equipped by the Word of God to invest in one another's life in a positive manner so that our lives help each other be more like Christ. And yet we don't want to. And our our frequent excuses are, it's not my business. Well, it may not be your business. When is your friend's behavior not your business? Okay. And I'll tell you the first thing is, when you don't love them. When you're not interested in their best interest. Uh, There are some people who are happy with the admonishing part. They have some misconstrued idea of what it means to be a Christian leader or to be a strong Christian. And they think, I have a badge and a billy club now. It's my job to correct your behavior, tell you what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. And they tend to focus on what's wrong. And so if you come at someone with a critical attitude, if you come at someone without the desire to care for them, to do what's in their best interest, to invest in their life then it's better to be quiet. But what God wants is for our heart to be right. Remember what he just said about love that binds all things together, above all things, to genuinely agape, to desire what's in the best interest of another person, even at the cost, whatever it may include to ourselves, and so that we can speak truth. But you may say, I don't know enough. I don't know enough truth. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not a preacher. I didn't go to seminary. I'm just not equipped. Can I tell you this? not the plane, it's the bomb. It's, it's not about you as the vehicle. It's about the Word of God, which is quick and powerful and sharp as any two-edged sword, piercing uh, soul and marrow. Uh, it, it, it's the Word of God that brings illumination, light, and conviction. And so when you're, say you're in your quiet time, you read, you've got a passage, and man, God's used it to convict you, or God's used it to encourage you today, and you get in touch with a friend, and you share that with them, or the next time you see them, or you're out, and you just share that with them. It's not that you're being the biblical 
know-it-all who's imparting information or, or doing admonition. It may simply, you share what God has shared with you, and the Word of God does the work in their life. I can't tell you how many times I've been encouraged by you who sent me an email or sent me a text with just a word of encouragement or an exhortation or something from Scripture or how God's working in your life, or sometimes even a question. I want to know about this text. I want to know about that. Indicating your hunger and your thirst for the Word of God. And many times God uses that in my life to encourage me or to correct me, but also to inspire me as far as direction and teaching and things that we need to be studying and understanding as a congregation. So important. It's not whether you know enough, it's that you know something. My first response to a person who says, I don't know enough, is learn. But after that, it's as you begin learning, you share and you teach with one another. The third biggest excuse I get is, well, I can't really mess with them or tell them what to do or what not to do because who am I to judge? Nobody's perfect. We're all just sinners. We're all just struggling along, doing the best we can. We are the way we are. Not my job to judge you. I hope you guys know better than that. I hope you know better than that. When God saves you and places you into his body, he puts his Holy Spirit in your heart. He gives you his word. When you love someone and you know that they're acting in a way that is harmful to them, it's not judging. It is helping. It is disciplining. It is courage. You are being used by God as an instrument for their righteousness, not to condemn them, but to help them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's important that we take time and make the commitment to invest in our lives as we're filled with the Word of God, sharing it to them, teaching and admonishing. But I will tell you that there's a whole other part to this. The last part of that phrase is to do it in all wisdom. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 10.24 says that uh, we're familiar with Hebrews 10.24 where it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. He goes on saying, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some is. We love Hebrews 10.24 and 25. Preachers particularly love Hebrews 10.24 and 25. But sometimes I think we miss the understanding. We think the command is, And let us stir up one another to love and good works. But what does the text say? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. There are times when you are teaching. There are times when you are admonishing. There are times when God's using you to invest in someone's life and you need to back off and say, I need to think about how to do this. I need to pray through this. Particularly in admonishing. In all wisdom means it's appropriate to the person. Appropriate vocabulary, appropriate for where their growth in Christ is, appropriate for their knowledge of Scripture, appropriate for their tenure walking in Christ. Appropriate to them. You don't expect a child to behave like an adult. You don't expect, well, it's appropriate. Expectations. You guys know what that means. I don't have to explain it any further than that. But also appropriate to the situation. You don't want to blow into somebody's life, tell them what all they're doing wrong, tell them how to do it right, and blow back out of somebody else's life. And if you don't understand the situation, you need to seek to understand the situation. You know we make assumptions in relationships, right? We, we just make assumptions. I walked into uh, uh, a conversation the other day, uh, and it was a guy who said, you know, I think I got people mad at me. I'm like, what, what's going on? He said, well, they, they're not talking to me. I saw them in the hall, and they just turned around and, and they walked away. 
I said, well, why don't you go ask them what's going on? Well, if they're mad at me, I don't want to impose my presence upon them. I said, are you friends? Do you like them? Do you love them? Do you want to have a good relationship with them? Well, yeah, but I'm just going to wait on them to approach me. No, you go talk to them. I'll go with you go, talk to them, say, I noticed this. I just want to make sure everything's okay. And so this guy, he said, I don't want you going. <laughs> I'll go. And so I talked to him later, and I said, how'd it go? How's that? He said, oh, it was nothing. They were thinking about something else, doing something else. Their behavior had nothing to do with me. And here this guy was, ready to withdraw, cut back on contact relationship because he was making assumptions about a behavior that was a one-off or maybe a recurring thing without understanding the situation. I'm going to tell you right now, we are too quick to make judgments. We are too quick to be critical. We are too quick to withdraw. When we ought to just open our hearts and lives and be willing to say, hey, i got no agenda here other than God's glory and your good. What's going on? How can I help? And I don't know if we're just defensive. I don't know if we're just shy. I don't know if we're just lazy. I just know we don't do it enough. And we've got to, appropriate to the person, appropriate to the situation, open up and teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Carefully, wisely, to God's glory, for His good, for His good. Important that we grasp that. Now, we'll tell you that when some of us know what it means to be admonished. How many of you like this guy over here? That's a selfie I took. No, I'm kidding. The, uh, the picture of admonishing here, when we think of admonishing, we need to be careful that that's not where we go. Sometimes there has to be invasive correction. We're talking about friendships in the context of the body of Christ. Sometimes there has to be somebody saying, this is wrong. This is wrong. But there's an attitude that should accompany it, and the mindset that should accompany it, accompany it should be more of the teaching and instructing and encouraging and admonishing here now granted i want to tell you occasionally in my life this turned into that but when we're talking about the mindset of our heart the attitude of our heart this is the picture that we ought to have i just want to come alongside i want you to Know what I know. As a matter of fact, I, I won't get into this much, but one of the ways that Paul admonishes throughout scriptures is he points people to the past and he points people to his own experiences. In First Corinthians chapter ten, look it up later, don't look it up now, but in First Corinthians chapter ten, Paul says all these writings were given to us to tell us what happened in the children of Israel for our benefit. And he then he goes to this church and says, Hey, you don't be sexually immoral. Because they were and 23,000 of them died in one day. So here's the circumstance that happened to them. This is their experience. Or it could be my experience. And you are admonishing a friend. Either because of their walk with God. Their daily Bible reading. Their relationship that they're having. A, a habit they have. And you, the way, one of the gentle ways to do that is to say. Here's my experience. Let me share with you how God dealt with me. Uh, we have a loving father who disciplines us. Don't we? We have a loving father who disciplines us. Should you talk about that with other people? I think you should. I think you should say, listen, I was so far out of line here, my thinking was so wrong. 
and God, this was the result. This is how God disciplined me, and this is where I am. And I'm not perfect, but I'm better, and I'm learning. And you can help me, and I want you to learn the same thing. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? This relationship of teaching and admonishing of your relationships, having a goal of your friends becoming more God, being a better man because of you, of being more godly because of you and because of your presence in your life. Now, the third thing seems almost a non sequitur. In Colossians chapter 3, we come to the next passage of Scripture. And the next phrase, the first two are, are really pretty simple, where he says, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, that's being prepared, teaching and admonishing one another, that's, that's uh, instructing and investing your lives conversationally in time spent with somebody else. But then he goes right into, what's next? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. But w- where does that come into teaching and admonishing one another? Are these some kind of songs by which we teach and admonish one another? No. I believe what Paul's saying here is the attitude that we have in these relationships ought to be attitude of joy and rejoicing, ought to be attitudes of worship. Uh, back to our picture of the two different slides you got this guy here is he a happy guy is he thankful is he grateful is he exalting god giving glory to god no he's not this guy may not but he's closer you understand what i'm saying i'm saying that we need to in our relationships we need to keep a good attitude we need to keep a positive attitude we need to keep an attitude that glorifies god which is the next point on the outline, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Here's the deal. You aren't the boss of the relationship. You're not the dad who is correcting his children. You are a fellow traveler. You are a sojourner. You're on this road to maturity. They are on this road to maturity. Go down this road to maturity together. Have those shared experiences. Have those times of laughing and joy and those times of rejoicing. The Christian life should be characterized by a positive, thankful, gratitude-filled, joyous attitude. And you get to practice that with your friends. And in these relationships, when you think something may be wrong, give the benefit of the doubt. Did you know that you can forgive somebody without ever asking them or without ever confronting them? You can forgive them. You can decide in your heart, I'm just not going to hold that against them and let them go. Now, again, that's a broader topic than what we're covering right here. But I am concerned that we, we are too quick, too quick, too quick to jump to conclusions about what people do and why they do it. And we need to back up and say, all right, let's explore this, this situation. We give the benefit of the doubt and we expect the best and expect the best in relationships. Here's my concern. We as believers should not be building our friendships on a shared love for gossip. Amen? (laughs) This is where it gets quiet in the room. We should not be building our friendships on a shared love for gossip. We should not be building our friendships on on a shared love for slander. And you think I'm making this up, but I'm not. I read it and I hear it. You hear it on the news. You hear it, not news, but you hear it on movies and TV shows. Oh, Let's go sit over here, we'll have coffee, and we'll talk about these people, and it'll have a, we'll just have a great time. You guys know any relationships that are built on criticism? You don't build your relationships on common enemies. 
Many times, governments, nations, people, groups, tribes of people have united facing a common enemy. We build our relationships on grace, on love. We build our relationships to the Word of God and for the glory of God. Which takes us to the end of this. It is important that we be people willing to rejoice with one another. I will tell you this, that if you're able to laugh and, with, and, and share laughter and, and joy and good positive experiences with one another, you're far more likely to be welcomed when it's time to share sorrow, when it's time to share grief, when it's time to share struggles. I want to go back and make one more statement about being wise in teaching and admonishing. How many of you like to be corrected? How many of you like to be corrected by people you know the best? I discovered a long time ago that if you want me to be calm, you should not tell me be calm. It makes me mad. I learned a long time ago that I got an issue with pride and still learn. We could talk about yesterday, but I don't want to. That I don't like to be corrected. Especially if I don't think you're an expert and got it all down. But here's what I learned and what I continually learn. I need correction. And I need to be open to hearing from somebody. But can I tell you, when I talk about being filled with the Word of God richly, letting it indwell you, and then letting that flow over on somebody else, when we are the one who is giving some form of correction, we need to do it based on the Word of God and with grace appropriate to the person and appropriate to the situation. What can I say in a way that they will hear what I mean? Does that make sense? And so there's both ends of this in these relationships, both the giving. Correction is hard to take. Correction is needed. Correction is necessary. Correction should glorify God, but it's hard to take. And so that's why it's so essential that we keep a good attitude. That's where he goes with the songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's where he goes with maintaining this attitude of gratitude and this attitude of thanksgiving. If you haven't laughed with someone you need to go do something that'll that'll make you laugh. If you haven't had a good day where you've just been out, and I don't know what you do for shared experiences. Uh, it, it, do you play golf? Go enjoy a game of golf. Do you get coffee? Go share a cup of coffee. Uh, do, do you do something with some of these people who are your friends that is just an enjoyable time for the glory of God and for the good of your relationship? Rejoice. God has given us all things to enjoy rejoice, again I say rejoice, and keep your heart clean. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever thing is just, whatsoever thing is pure, whatever thing is lovely, whatever is commendable or praiseworthy, these are the things that you need to be thinking about, not only in your life, but in your relationship with others. And that takes us to the last phrase, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Imagine a church filled with people 
who know that they are holy, set apart to God, chosen by Him, loved by God. And in that security, able to love with one another in humility and patience and kindness. Able to bear with one another when things get hard and forgive one another when we stumble and fall or when we have a bad day or a bad month or a bad whatever. But willing to extend grace above all things, showing agape love, love that genuinely cares for one another, being filled with the Word of God as we encourage and we teach one another, as we admonish and correct one another with the right attitude, one of rejoicing and all for the glory of God. Let's do that. Let's do that. Father, thank you for the exhortation, the correction that you give us in this passage of Scripture. Thank you for the call that we have to teach one another and to admonish one another and to rejoice, to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with one another with an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of thanksgiving and an attitude of rejoicing. Father, I pray that you will not let me get off track here, that you will not let me become a person who is critical or a person who is judgmental or a person who is negative or a person who goes around and beats people up with your word and call it being a preacher or a pastor. I pray that you'll fill me with your word and that you'll, even more as you do, fill me with your character, that I will be the man, the pastor, the friend that you would have me to be. I pray, Father, that you will help us to afresh and anew commit to our friendships in such a way that we enhance each other's lives. We encourage one another. We support one another. We do those things that are necessary so that the life of Christ is reflected in us increasingly, in part at least, due to how we talk to one another, how we spend time together. Thank you for the privilege, for the opportunity to be a church, a part of a church that longs to know you, longs to walk in obedience to you. It's the name of your Son, I pray this thing. Amen.